This is Hashtag History, episode 73. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And my husband is going to let out a sigh of relief because we are finally covering a topic that he's been asking us to cover for, how long has this podcast been a thing? Two years. Two years. Uh, Yeah, that long. Wow. That's how long he's been waiting. Wow. This week, we are talking about that infamous 1967 Bigfoot film, or Sasquatch, or Yeti, or Skunk Ape. Huh? Whichever you prefer. There are many others. Many others. Skunk Ape. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Skunk Ape film, everybody. Yeah. Ever heard of it? Nope. Okay. Can't say I have. (laughs) Five decades later, and despite all of the analysis and scrutiny that the film has received, it still, to this day, has never officially been debunked. Yeah. And it really was that film that ingrained Bigfoot in American folklore. Yeah. So we have a lot to talk about insofar as, you know, like a brief history of Bigfoot is concerned, that infamous film, of course, the hoaxes and conspiracies, and the possibility of this thing being real. Mm -hmm. But before we can do that, we need to have a little drinky drink. A little drinky drink. Drink Drink Drink-a-drink. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And And this this is is Hashtag Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. All right. So before we get into the cocktail, huge shout out to this week's cocktail sponsor. They bought us two drinks. Oh my gosh, yes. This is their second drink that they bought us. Huge shout out to Rob and Schaff from the Geek So To Speak podcast. Thank you so much. That was so nice. Yeah. I really, really appreciate you guys. I know. Thank you so much for sponsoring a cocktail. That means a lot to us. Mm -hmm. So... This week's cocktail was inspired by a recipe I found on the CocktailDudes.com website. Loving this already. Yeah. Their recipe is much fancier and involved. So if you're interested in a non-trailer park version of this cocktail, (laughs) I highly encourage you to check out their website. There was also a YouTube video that they did about this cocktail. Oh, how cool. Yeah. I will have to check that out. That sounds cool. Mine's like the literal trailer park trash version of their (laughs) very, like, involved cocktail. Loving it. Okay. So this is called the Slow Dancing Sasquatch. I just imagine two little Bigfoot, big, Bigfoots. Bigfoots? Big feet. Big feet. Big feet. <laughs> Bigfoots. Big Slow feet. dancing. <laughs> Two big feet. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this co- cocktail, it sounds strong. Ooh, and it's essentially black. Yeah. It, it contains two ounces of coffee-infused bourbon, which I actually infused the bourbon myself with Love some it. coffee. Um, and that smelled really good, right? It smelled very good. Yeah. It felt like exactly equal parts of coffee and bourbon hitting the nostrils at the same time. Yeah. And then half an ounce of mint simple syrup. And this is where I kind of divulged from their recipe. Okay. Because they, it was like a mint a specific type of mint simple syrup, and I can't even remember the name of it. So hopefully regular mint simple syrup goes well. I, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Yeah. And then a uh, fourth ounce of sweet vermouth, uh, which, yes, we still have some leftover from whatever season it was that we just... A hundred all- years ago. Yeah, 600 years ago. 600 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And then you top it all off with a half ounce of Kahlua or any other, like, coffee liqueur. So you mix it all up. Plop in some ice. 
I mean, it really is an incredibly dark color. And it's like 99% like liquor or liqueur. And you can smell it. Yes. I can smell. I mean, it's probably, what is this distance? Two feet away from me and yeah. I can smell the drink. Yes, for from sure. where I'm sitting. I am a little concerned about mixing this mint with coffee flavor, but it's <laughs> such a small amount. Maybe it's going to be fine. It might be fine because do you ever have Phil's coffee? Have you ever had Phil's coffee? Yes. Like there's one in Davis, right? Yes. Yes. And they have a, I don't remember what it is, but it's a, like a mint mojito iced coffee or something. Oh yeah. And like people put mint, like it's, creme de menthe or, mm-hmm. Okay. So it might, that, the coffee and the mint thing, I'm not so much concerned about. It's just that this has vermouth in any which way in it. (laughs) It It's a very tiny amount, though. There is more (sighs) mint simple syrup than vermouth in this drink. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay, if you say so. And to give the cocktail dudes credit, they used, like I said, oh, that's what it was. Homemade patchouli syrup. Oh, wow. Which apparently is like a specific type of mint. So uh, I don't know. Um, Which it may be very different from the plain mint simple syrup, but we'll, we'll give it a go. Let's do it. I don't even want to pick up my glass. Do it, Rachel. (laughs) I'm nervous. Cheers. Cheers. It looks like a rum and Coke. Yes. It just tastes like coffee, right? Yeah. How did you do? What did you do? How did you infuse? Literal bourbon. Literal Mm -hmm. bourbon. Literal kind, not the fake. Yeah. Not the fake kind. Actual literal kind. (laughs) (laughs) Just bourbon and like coffee, full coffee beans for like two days. And then I strained the bourbon out of the, co- the coffee beans out. I dig it. I do too. It tastes like smooth iced coffee. No, you know, like cream or milk or anything like that in it. Just straight coffee. But I don't taste anything else. No. I don't even, do you taste the mint? No. I think that just gives it a slight sweetness to it. Same with probably the sweet vermouth, maybe. Thank God I don't taste that. Yeah. It's good. Do you want to put cream in it now? Yes. Like a little splooshy? Sure. We also brought in just a tiny bit of half and half um, because we weren't sure if we were going to like it. I'm betting that cream is going to level it up. Yeah. I'm going to do a um, typhoid Mary stir with your finger. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't understand what that meant. A typhoid Mary stir. I love that. Maybe it was better before. I think it was. (laughs) It's okay. But, um, I mean, that's kind of almost encouraging. Yeah. Right? That, you know, we had thought that adding some cream was the only way that we would, like, really like it. But actually, the cream kind of ruined it. So, rating? Before the cream. Yeah. I mean, it's fine with the cream. It's just, like, no better. Yeah. It didn't make it better. Yeah. Um, Six. Six. Okay. Because I was, I was going to go with a five. Okay. It's right in the middle for me. I don't hate it. I don't love it. Yeah. Like Probably I would, won't I have won't it, again. Drink it again, not intentionally, but if it was put in front of me, of course. Yeah. Okay. There are records of a potential Sasquatch dating back to the late 1800s, but it was really in 1958 that the legend of Bigfoot really entered American folklore and the name Bigfoot was born. And a man named Jerry Crew, who was a bulldozer operator working in Humboldt County, California, in 1958, he discovered on the job site footprints that measured 16 inches long in the Six Rivers National Forest. He goes back to his coworkers and tells them about it, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We've spotted the same footprints on other job sites. Oh, I assumed you were going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, sure, sure buddy. Yeah. No, they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's a thing. That's a thing around here. 
As they continued to spot these footprints on future job sites, crew made the decision to reach out to the Humboldt Times journalist, Andrew Genzoli, who took the story and ran with it. Initially, Genzoli reported that he thought the Bigfoot story, quote, made a good Sunday morning story. Mm -hmm. But it would become much larger than that. The story reached newspapers such as the Los Angeles Times and the New York Times, and they started running stories of their own. When you trace back Bigfoot histories, it is these stories that really make up the origins of American understanding of a big ape-like man. And I guess I kind of, I just assumed that maybe this has been a part of like American culture and stuff longer. Folklore. Folklore longer than 1958. But no, this is like when it really, really started. Hmm. And was it, I I would assume just based Mm -hmm. on how this whole, this particular incident started, where they see imprints of big feet, that's where the name Bigfoot comes from, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Like, it was never called that beforehand. Correct. And it really, it was like with these stories that were being published in the newspaper that eventually the name Bigfoot was adopted. Okay. So they actually had a plaster cast of the footprints made and Jerry Crew, he posed with it for a news article on October 6th, 1958, which we of course have a picture that we have to check out. Yes. It's big. Yeah. She's a big boy. She's a big boy. Huge. I mean, if you saw that... I don't know. What would your mind initially say? I think my mind would probably initially say, like, someone's messing with me. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but if you had mentioned it to, like, other coworkers, I'm like, no, like, well, I saw the same one on my job site. I saw the same one on my job site. Like, oh, there's That's pretty... maybe something around here. Yeah. That would freak me out. I would be freaked out. Yeah. Freaky. Mm-hmm. So... While we're checking out pictures, I have another one for you to look at. This one is a really great map that was created by the Argus Observer to show Bigfoot sightings by state. And I'm hoping you can, like, kind of tell our listeners the trends that you spot here based on, you know, like, the numbers appearing in which states. Okay. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily see trends. It looks like, um, obviously, like, West Coast states, there's the most sightings. Yes. Is that it? Mm-hmm. And then it looks like up in the, like, Great Lakes area, there. And and kind of c- branching out from there, there's also more sightings in that area. Yes. But yeah, the primary one is like looking at the West Coast, right? Yes. Bigfoot is oftentimes considered a Pacific Northwesterner because the majority of sightings are out our way. In fact, a third of supposed Bigfoot sightings occur in this very area. I know when I was just in Portland, Oregon a few weeks ago, we had several Bigfoot sightings ourselves, aka the Sasquatch Brewery Company and like, you know other statues and murals throughout the city. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was there like a week before you. I know. (laughs) I know you were. Now this brings us to the absolutely iconic Patterson Gimlin film, which will be the primary focus of this week's episode. This is the Bigfoot film that we have all seen in 1967. A video was made by Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin in the Humboldt County area of California. The film is 59.5 seconds long and has a total of 954 frames. And of course, we're going to watch it right now. I'm very excited. I have so many things to say. I want you to say them all. So before I go into some background on both Patterson and Gimlin, let's talk about the actual film. Yeah, because I like I said, I have a lot. I have a lot of comments. Okay. Do you want to share comments now? My initial thing that I always come back to is that it just walks so much like um, a dude yeah it's just a dude one no 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. the only thing there are two things and this is that i've seen in my research okay that are kind of unhuman like non-human okay is we should just have it pulled up so we can always reference it 
the way that he steps on his feet, he, she, it steps on its feet, mm-hmm. um, isn't necessarily human-like. Humans generally go, you know, like the ball of your foot before you plant the rest of your foot down. And this creature is planting the whole foot down. And then the other difference, too, is when the creature turns around, it has to turn, like, almost the whole torso part, right? As opposed to, like, a human just turns its neck. Do you yeah. see? When he's looking over his shoulder. So, th- I, I am 100% with you that, like, yes, it looks like a dude just walking. But since I have analyzed this film at nauseum, yes. and because I've done this research and stuff, those are, like, the main things that people use as their proof that it was a real thing. So... Let's analyze this film. Yes, please. Thank you. According to the men, they were riding on horseback on October 20th, 1967, sometime between 1.15 and 1.40 p.m. That's when they said they spotted a figure near a creek. Patterson tells the story that his horse freaked out in response to seeing the figure. It took Patterson approximately 20 seconds to get off of the horse and to get his camera ready. So he yelled out for Gimlin to cover him, a.k.a like have a gun ready in case it was needed. Yeah. And he began moving toward the figure and filming it. So we just watched the film. So, you know, it's hella shaky at the beginning. Mm -hmm. According to Patterson, that was because he was running towards the creature while filming. It was only right about when the figure turns around and does that like look over its shoulder that Patterson fell to his knees and remained relatively still. You looked like you wanted to say something. No, I just, (sighs) I, why why was his initial reaction as soon as his um horse starts flipping out to be get to my, get off and let film me, it? Yeah, let me get my camera out and film this. That you, seems... you were about three minutes ahead of yourself. Okay. I'm th- okay. <laughs> All right. Let's circle we'll circle back. We'll circle back. Mm-hmm. Put a pin in it. Yep. We'll we'll touch on this shortly. Okay. Yeah. I'm Fantastic ready. question because of course that's always been my thought about this film. Like, like uh, how it, did you like you had a camera on you? You pulled it out in time to film the creature walking this length of yeah. space, right? Yeah. Great questions. Yeah. Also, yeah. the creature doesn't look like it's in any hurry. It's just kind of like, eh. And that's the other thing that um, you know people have used to disprove it that like if this is like a large ape or something that is not primitive behavior no at all yeah to like see people with horses filming you kind of scrambling around and i mean you're just, just like slowly saunter off into the distance <laughs> right like i could i could imagine him like holding up a cocktail as he's walking away like <laughs> cheers to you and then continuing to walk 100 it's the, it's the look that you like give someone when you're walking on the sidewalk right like yeah hi like, hey, it's keep the, going the white the white person grin that people do the mm. The, the crinkly eye, yeah, no he teeth. Turned, he turned into the. Mm. <laughs> that was it exactly. Yeah. The funeral smile. <laughs> oh, God. Patterson said, you know, so he, he films, obviously, the creature, you know, turning around and looking back at him. Patterson said that this wasn't the only time that the creature looked over its shoulder. He believes it looked over its shoulder approximately three times, but that none of these other incidents were captured on camera. Of course. <laughs> Eventually, the creature disappeared behind some trees for approximately 14 seconds before reappearing for another 15 seconds before officially disappearing into the trees again. Ooh, that would be what would freak me out is if like, if if something's walking away from me, it, like if this was all real. And yeah, it really let's happens. pretend this is real. Let's pretend this is real. Not that we don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, don't. I don't, I don't either. I don't. <laughs> um, but let's pretend this is real. If like this scary creature is walking away from me, I'd be like, okay, thank God, thank God, thank God. Thank God. But if it came back, like, could you imagine you're like, oh, you're, you let your guards down. You're like, it's clearly walking away. It doesn't want anything to do with me. And then you turn around and it's just staring at oh, you from the tree God. line and it's just looking at you. Well, that's when you get on your horse and you get the you, f- out. You f- off. 
You do not hang around with your video camera. But of course, we're going to get into all that and, and, and why. Yeah. Gimlin, who was nearby on his horse, attempted to follow the creature on his own. But Patterson, without a horse or a rifle, was like, nah, bro. Yeah. You better come back here and get me. Or I'd be like, bye. 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 <laughs> Gimlin and Patterson eventually found Patterson's horse that had run off during the Bigfoot encounter. And the two men on their horses followed the Bigfoot tracks for approximately a mile before they lost them. They returned to the site of the encounter and they made plaster casts of the feet that they found there. Were, were they c- carrying plaster with them? Like, this is dumb. Yes. Like, they just had plaster with them. Yes. On their horseback ride through the forest. You don't forest. carry plaster, plaster on, on a video camera? I mean, should I start? You should consider it. Okay. In case we see wild <laughs> mongooses. My feet are pretty big. <laughs> Could be confused. (laughs) Could be confused. (laughs) Later that evening, around 6.30 p.m., Patterson and Gimlin went to a local store where they shipped off the film to Patterson's brother-in-law. What? What? Perhaps I put this episode in the, like, structured the outline in the wrong order. I wanted to tease the video, talk about the video, and then explain every single one of your questions after that. Okay. Uh, I'll just stop. (laughs) All of the questions will be answered. Uh, Thank you. Uh I'll just stop. (laughs) continue after they ship off this film they stop off at the lower trinity ranger station around 9 p.m that evening where patterson called the newspaper time standard and told them all about the encounter that they had had with bigfoot yeah because the first thing i would do after encountering a wild beast in the wild by myself would be to mail the video Uh uh-huh to my brother yeah. Then report it to it's a called being an influencer. And <laughs> then I would have the, the wherewithal. The wherewithal to think I should report this to the newspaper today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all within like what, three hours. Mm-hmm. What, what, I'm, are you com- what? I'm sorry. I said I was going to stop. Continue. I just don't understand why you're confused. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they they were pre they were all- they were ahead of their time pre influencer <laughs> pre TikTokers. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important to note this timeline because one of the biggest doubts regarding this story is this very timeline. According to many people that are like familiar with the area or have mapped out and measured. You know, the the distances that they traveled that day, it simply was not possible for the men to have seen Sasquatch around 1.15 p.m. and have made it to the store by 6.30 p.m. Is, so, and that's been proven. That's been proven. Okay. So they're liars. <laughs> I think it's like, it's it's been proven that it would have been difficult, not impossible. Mm-hmm. Liars. The following morning, they attempted to preserve more footprint evidence, but torrential downpour made that impossible. In fact, the rain also effed up their plans to head home as their truck slipped in a mudslide and they ended up having to be pulled out by a front-end loader. Hello, my name's Elliot and I run the Anthology of Heroes podcast. Each episode of the show follows the life of a hero from one country of the world, but rather than the stuffy old politicians or tired stories you read about in school, I'll be sharing the forgotten stories of rebels, slaves, heretics and outcasts, men and women who went against the tide of history regardless of the consequences. If this sounds like your kind of thing, check us out on Instagram and, of course, all major podcasting platforms. The name again is Anthology of Heroes Podcast, and we hope to see you there. Okay, we're going to finally get into some character background here. Great. What you've all been waiting for. Yeah. So we have to talk about the background of these two gentlemen, right? Particularly that of Patterson. So for anyone that is not familiar with Patterson's and Gimlin's backgrounds, just know that 
I mean, it's what you've alluded to a dozen times already. Just know that capturing Bigfoot on film was not like some weird, crazy, spontaneous thing that happened. It was 100% the intent. Right. (laughs) And that's why they had the video camera with them. That was the purpose of this trip. Okay. So Roger Patterson had been fascinated by Bigfoot for many years before capturing the creature on camera. In fact, nearly 10 years before that infamous footage in 1959. I I love the look on your face right now. You're just like, this bitch. (laughs) I just, too, We're only halfway through the episode. And you're already calling bullshit. too, like, oh, coincidental. Like, even if the intent of this trip was, we're going to go out, we're going to hunt some Bigfoot. We're going to get, we're going to do it. I mean, how many shows are there right now on Animal Planet? They're like... Finding Bigfoot, or you know, like hunting Bigfoot, and they're out there for like days, and they don't get it. And they're on season twelve, and I still have not seen Bigfoot. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Season twelve, they went on a boys' trip for the weekend and happened to get the perfect, (laughs) like slow motion walking, turned around and looked at the camera. Not that we're doubters. No, 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 no. We're not critical of this at all. (laughs) So. Nearly 10 years yes. before that film, right? Mm-hmm. In 1959, Patterson, he read an article in True Magazine about Bigfoot that first got him intrigued. He would later read Abominable Snowman, Legend Come to Life, about Bigfoot that focused primarily on sightings of Bigfoot in the Bluff Creek area. So Patterson headed to Bluff Creek and started doing his own investigating, checking out supposed Bigfoot tracks, and talking with the local believers. Over the course of the next handful of years, Patterson would spend thousands of dollars going on his own little Bigfoot hunts, and he even published a book in 1966 titled Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist? I looked it up on Goodreads and on Amazon, and combined, it only has like 50 reviews. But those reviews weren't that bad, actually. Most of them were like three or four stars out of five, which I think is pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. At the time of its publication in 1966, though, most people were not impressed by it. I mean, there's really only so much information in the book. It pretty much just contains a bunch of newspaper article clippings and like some drawings, many done by Patterson himself, of Bigfoot. Okay. About four or five months before the infamous Bigfoot film, Patterson started creating a little indie film with a buddy of his, Robert Gimlin, in which they were tracking down, you guessed it, Bigfoot. Ahead of their time. So I'm just saying, if you were shooting a film like this, you may or may not need a Bigfoot costume. (laughs) We'll come back to that. (laughs) So something else really interesting about this indie film is that Patterson had to borrow a camera for it, right? Yeah. And when he didn't return it on time, a warrant was actually issued for his arrest. This is like a little known fact that... in all the years of knowing about Bigfoot and about knowing about this film and even doing like some research of my own Mm -hmm. in years past, I didn't realize he was arrested not long after the infamous Bigfoot footage and was only released when he finally returned the camera. That's pretty fascinating. Like that's just like a side fact that I had to throw in here that like the camera that was used to shoot this infamous Bigfoot footage technically stolen or just not returned on time. And a warrant was issued for his arrest <laughs> and he served time for it. Huh. <laughs> Fascinating. Anyway, after filming the supposed Sasquatch, Patterson got the film developed ASAP and began trying to have it shown to specialists to prove its authenticity. Most people, however, were like, uh, 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 no. <laughs> it wasn't until someone at BBC bought the film off of him for approximately $75,000. Oh, Patterson. I mean, yeah. 
I would fake Bigfoot sighting <laughs> if I could get seventy five. And in those days too. That's that those days money. Oh. Yeah. It was then that this film became what I guess we could call in today's terms viral. It went viral. It went viral. <laughs> Patterson began appearing on numerous television and radio talk shows and interviews for magazines to publicize the film more. Gimlin, on the other hand, was the complete opposite. He shied away from the spotlight. In fact, he hated the spotlight and the attention cast upon him as a result of the film. There are also stories that Patterson basically cheated Gimlin out of his share of the profits and Gimlin would eventually end up selling his ownership share for less than $10. Or maybe, maybe Gimlin's doing that because he doesn't want to lie to people's faces and make money off of it. Excellent point. Excellent point. Gimlin, I'll address this a little bit more later, but Gimlin continues to say that it was real. Okay. That it was not a hoax. Okay. That it was all real. Okay. Let me just say, like, I'm very clearly critical of this. Sure. Of course. And let me just say, I am not saying definitively that there isn't, like, some sort of Sasquatch creature that hasn't been discovered in the deep forests of wherever. We're just saying this particular film. This particular film is bullshit. (laughs) Yes. That's a a great distinction to make. Mm -hmm. We're not saying there isn't a Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. We're saying that ain't him. Yeah. (laughs) In the film. Yeah. And just, like, so much of this planet has been discovered and there's mm-hmm. no there's nowhere except in the deep oceans that hasn't been touched by humans yeah. and so it's just hard for me to fully accept that there is something that hasn't been discovered yet but i also have to acknowledge that there have been so many sightings and so many things throughout history yeah. prior to people wanting like notoriety notoriety that okay like maybe there is something maybe to there's it on something that there end. yeah yeah so i can see both sides Love, love, love that analysis. Back to Gim. Gimli. Gimli. (laughs) (laughs) So Gimlin, like I was saying, he's basically avoided the spotlight. It's only been in more recent years that he actually has attended like Bigfoot conferences and has been interviewed for specials on networks such as Animal Planet. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the actuality of this Bigfoot footage being real. Okay. (laughs) Both Patterson and Gimlin have always insisted that it was 100% real. The only time Gimlin has ever sort of faltered in this assertion, which I don't know that you can even call it faltered, but Mm -hmm. it was in a 1999 telephone interview with the BBC in which he conceded that there was a possibility that it was a hoax, that it would have been a hoax that Patterson orchestrated all on his own and that Gimlin had been an unknowing participant. So, all his life, he's always said, like, no, it couldn't be fake. It couldn't, you know, be a hoax. And he finally, you know, in 1999 conceded, like, all right. If it was a hoax, I wasn't involved. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. One of the biggest supporters of the film is Jeffrey Meldrum, an anthropology professor at Idaho State University. He is quoted as saying, at this point, I'm as confident as I can be, short of standing on the sandbar with Roger and Bob and, and witnessed it myself. The primary evidence he used to support the film is to debunk the theory that it's just a man in a suit. He uses, I can't wait for us to talk through this. Planet of the Apes. He uses the Planet of the Apes films, which came out at nearly the same time as the Bigfoot film, to prove as such. Mm-hmm. We all know how iconic the Planet of the Apes movies were and the awards and nominations that they received for costuming and makeup. Yeah. So mm-hmm. obviously, Planet of the Apes costuming was like cutting edge, right? Yeah. But when you put those costumes and that makeup up against the Bigfoot footage, 
they just don't compare. And we'll, I, I know I can see it on your face. We'll talk about this. The apes in Planet of the Apes are very clearly humans in costume. Mm-hmm. And the Bigfoot in the Patterson-Gimlin film is, I don't know, a question mark? Yeah, a question mark. But is this enough evidence to prove the existence of a Bigfoot that, like, the Bigfoot costume didn't look like the Planet of the Apes costumes? And my argument to that would be, having watched Planet of the Apes many, 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 many times, one of the intents of that film was to show apes as intelligent creatures and to show them human like to humanize them yes they have human like faces yes and so to say that because these two you know ape costumes were created around the same time to say that one is more realistic than the other I mean, they're different people that were making them with different intents. And I think it's also important to take into consideration. I, I just love that we're like literally getting into like conspiracy theorist territory here. I, I love so much that on a Sunday late afternoon with drinks, we're just debating this Bigfoot. This is what we're talking about. It's, this, is, this is the dream. <laughs> this is the dream. Yeah. But no, the thing we have to take into consideration here is the quality of the film because ding 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 thank you i wasn't going to say it and that's exactly what i wanted to say is about like how blurry yeah it's blurry it's shaky it's on a shitty like what like shitty home camera that some guy rented versus like a cinematographer's like was framing this thing so like yeah of course the like when you're up close and personal with like a really nice camera on a professional movie set it's gonna look different than on a shaky home video like yes so I know that this anthropology professor, he has other reasons for believing, you know, that the, this footage is for real. But that is his primary evidence is like comparing the costuming of the time, knowing that Planet of the Apes costuming was cutting edge. Yeah. How could this Bigfoot one be so much more realistic when Planet of the Apes wasn't? My response to that would be that was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> like that was intentional. Yeah. It was f- and filmed on different types of cameras in different settings. Mm-hmm. Nearly all other experts essentially agree that they do not find it likely that, you know, the creature in the Bigfoot film is real, although they all say that they cannot definitively prove that. Yeah, I don't expect anyone to definitely definitively prove that it isn't real. The only way you'd be able to definitively prove is like if you could see the zipper yeah, in the back. Yeah, you zoom in and which you see the zipper. There are some people that have said that they can identify a zipper in the costume. I looked and I couldn't find the pictures, but there are some people that say like, no, if you zoom in at this right angle at this particular time of the footage, there is a zipper hanging out. Mm. I mean, and I would think like that there is pretty much the only way you can definitively, one of the only ways you can definitively prove yeah. that it's not and real. And again, it's on such shitty like <clears throat> home video camera like that you're never going to get a good enough quality thing to actually prove that. Which is why five decades later, we are talking about exactly. this. Exactly. <laughs> so most of the critiques that these other experts have are in relation to if the creature in the film is primate-like enough. Yes. There are arguments about the color and the size of the feet, arguments about the hair flow pattern, arguments about if the butt is separated enough from the rest of the body. You know how, like, you know, apes and monkeys and stuff, their butt is kind of more protruding yeah. than it is on a human's. The list goes on. I'm and then glad. we already covered most of that. So. We covered most of that. And my <laughs> response to that would also be that, like, we don't, assuming Bigfoot exists and Bigfoot is real, we don't know if he's more primate like than a human like. Yeah, yeah. Or like who, who knows that? So to say that, you know, he's not primate like enough. It's like, who's, well, who's to say that Bigfoot has to be 90% primate? Or, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. That would be my argument. I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> 
I can't believe we're debating this. Something else that many people have used to prove that this footage has to be real, and this is a really sad piece of evidence, is that Patterson and Gimlin were stupid. Yeah. Those aren't the exact words that people have used, but in summary, many of the people that have interviewed Patterson and Gimlin, including author Peter Byrne and anthropologist David Dagling, both agree that neither man had the, quote, intellectual capacity essential to the production of a hoax. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Burn. (coughs) Burn. In 1972, Patterson passed away, and that's when lips started getting loose. Mm. In 2002, so 35 years after the film was made, a man named Philip Morris, who was the owner of Morris Costumes, came forward and said that he was responsible for making the costume used in the Patterson-Gimlin film. He states that sometime in 1967, Patterson approached him about making this costume. After Morris had mailed it to him, Patterson called him and asked questions about how they could modify the costume to make the shoulders appear larger and to make the arms appear longer. According to Morris, he told Patterson that the person wearing the costume could put on football shoulder pads and like hold on to sticks with their hands, right, to achieve this look. Mm-hmm. To further prove his case that he was the creator of this costume, Morris has said that when you watch the film, you will see that Bigfoot has to essentially turn at the waist to look over its shoulder. He says that is because of the big shoulder pads. You physically cannot just turn your head in those costumes without the shoulder pads getting in the way. And that was going to be my argument when you said, look, he turns his whole torso. So that's not that's more animal like my comment was going to be yeah. or the costume just is weird. prohibits him from doing yeah. otherwise. Right. Yeah. And then similar to what I was saying about like the unhuman like way that he's walking mm-hmm. uh, in that, you know, he puts down his whole foot as opposed to stepping down on the ball of the foot first. Morris says like you have to if you're wearing a costume like that otherwise you would literally fall over if you don't place your whole foot on the ground all at once Mm. so unfortunately for morris he has no evidence to prove that he made this costume there's no receipts there's no delivery records nothing yeah additionally morris has never attempted to recreate the costume to match that of the 1967 film i'm gonna be honest like i in no way believe morris either yeah i think it's just someone trying to get notoriety or i don't know i just i mean i he spoke up, oh gosh, I don't know. He spoke up 35 years after yeah. this incident. So would you have receipts of something? I don't, no, I don't know. I don't think you would. I don't think you would. I'm not, I, I just, I'm like, why, why wait this long? Unless they all they waited pay- until after Patterson passed away. All but the, the but other then ones- it was like years after Patterson passed away. Because he passed away and you said, what, 70 something? Excellent point. And he then in, in 2000 and something, this guy came, 2002, right. this right. guy came forward and was like, oh, 30 years later, I just wanted to like preface that I was the one that I did I was this. the creator. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you. He's no more believable than the rest of this bullshit we've talked about. Yes. Nothing is believable. Trust no one. Trust no one. <laughs> Especially Morris. <laughs> so in 1999, a man named Bob Hieronymus, who had been a buddy of Patterson's, spoke up for the first time after watching a television show titled World's Greatest Hoaxes, Secrets Finally Revealed, in which he stated that he had been the man inside the Bigfoot costume back in 1967. According to Hieronymus, he had never spoken out previously because he didn't want to, like, out his buddy, and also because he had hoped that one day he'd be paid for his efforts. Oh, no. Oh, Yeah. But in a quote he gave to a local newspaper when he revealed his story, he said, I'm telling the truth. I'm tired after 37 years. Further evidence of Hieronymus's involvement comes from his own mother, who said she saw the costume in his car 
just two days after the infamous footage was made back in 1967. Hieronymus's and Morris's stories don't line up nearly at all, though, in relation to this costume, which maybe that just that doesn't speak to neither of them being correct. Maybe it just speaks to Morris being full of shit. Um, Because they both continue to tell totally contradicting stories. One saying the costume was made of horse hide. The other saying it was made of dinal. One saying it was all one piece that you just like stepped into and zipped up. The other saying it was almost like a shirt and pants two piece set. There have also been skeptics that have said Hieronymus's body type does not align with that of the Bigfoot in the footage. Hieronymus did admit to wearing, you know, like football shoulder pads to bulk up his shoulders within the costume. But he says that he did not add any other padding, particularly to like the chest area, nor did he carry sticks in his hands to extend his arm length none of which matches up with the body proportions that we see in the film. But there's a video that we have to watch. This is a video of Hieronymus walking alongside the footage of Bigfoot walking. And, well, you just tell me what you think. Okay. I mean... I mean, I think it it looks exactly like him. Yeah. I mean, it looks exactly like him. But, like, the, the, the gait of this person. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's probably, what, like, a decade, no, like, three decades later or something. Right. But and, like- and, of course, it is possible that Hieronymus has extensively, re- like, you know, no, watched this video 7,000 times. Yeah, if I studied something long enough, I could walk exactly like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. You, wanted me, you want me to do it right do now? Do it right now. Do Let's see right how now. well you could do it. Oh, my God, you look just like Bigfoot. <laughs> Okay, okay, so maybe that just debunked it. <laughs> I debunked that was great. it, y'all. That was great. Right here, right now. Live. Live. For me. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, to bring this thing full circle back to the beginning of our episode in which we discussed bulldozer operator Jerry Crew, who first discovered the Bigfoot footprints at his job site in Humboldt County in 1958. Apparently, a man named Ray Wallace, who had been a co-worker of Cruz's, passed away in 2002. Following his death, Wallace's family spoke up for the first time and stated that Wallace had planted those footprints back in 1958. A lifelong prankster, Wallace's family said he had had a 16-inch human foot model made out of wood and that he would use it to create tracks at job sites just to mess with his co-workers. <sighs> I, I believe it. Yeah. Oh, I believe, I believe that. that something like that would happen. And mm-hmm. like, that sounds like my dad. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking is like, you're working on a construction site all day with a bunch of dudes and stuff. Like, like I could see your dad doing that. Oh, too. yeah. Just like, for fun. Yeah. Just why not with people like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the likelihood of that film being real? <sighs> for, me, for me personally, and I know I'm in no way I haven't done research i'm no in no way a professional anthropologist yeah zero not even a one percent chance i you wouldn't even give it one percent fine one percent i'm just asking mine's at zero (laughs) (laughs) i was just asking oh i mean yeah i think putting everything in you know to its context and its historical time frame we can't debunk this. We can't. It, no. will, it will never be debunked because of the circumstances, the quality, mm-hmm. e- right? Everything. Everything. It cannot be debunked because there isn't enough quality sources mm-hmm. to debunk it. Yeah. It's just, it's for me, the thing that makes it the most um, unbelievable is like, oh, this guy who's obsessed with Bigfoot and went on a specific trip to film Bigfoot. Th- yeah. Happened upon a Bigfoot. That that is literally how I want to close out this episode. <laughs> is the coincidence yeah. of exactly what you just said? But at the same time, arguably, 
being that he was obsessed with Bigfoot and likely knew more about the creature than anyone else at that time, knew the location where a Bigfoot sighting was most likely. What? How? Who else than this guy actually, maybe, really see Bigfoot? Zero. <laughs> zero zero all right well that's all thanks guys (laughs) (laughs) that's it bye Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures and links to the videos? No. Totally. Yeah. yeah I think we'll share. Or like at least a picture of the video. Yes. Yes. We will share the pictures that we discussed on this episode to our Instagram and all sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website at hashtag history pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use, share about us with your family and friends, and then give us a rate and review. We would love that so much. We'd love it. Speaking of Instagram, be sure to check us out on there at hashtag history underscore podcast. And you can also find us on TikTok. Be yeah. sure to check us out at hashtag history. And come join us over on Patreon, where for only a dollar a month, you can give more if you would like, but a dollar <laughs> a month is wonderful. A dollar a month gets you all the things. You get access to behind the scenes content. You get weekly hashtag hangout episodes. We mail you cards and stickers, all the goods. That's it. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Six inches long. Sixteen. In- Thanks. Six inches long. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny ass. Little feet. <laughs> Gimlin. Gim- Gimli. Gimlin was nearby on his... <laughs> Gimlin. <laughs> Do you know Gimli. who Gimli is? Yeah, that's why I said it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that. You've gone for a lot. I'm trying... And I feel a little bit bad, too. Which is nice. Yeah, it's nice to feel a little bit <laughs> According to Hieronymus. Hieronymus. That is a name. Hieronymus. 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 Did I say Hieronymus the first time? I don't know. I'll say Dinal? Dinal? I have no idea. What is that? I've never seen that word in my life. It's some kind of cloth. Oh, And I looked up how to pronounce it before this and I already forgot. Dinal. Dinal. Dinal sounds right. At hash. (laughs)